Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And this is ForceLegacy.html. Yay. We're continuing to take a look at the Star Wars universe right now firmly ensconced in the Star Wars Clone Wars Filoni Wars. So we're going by the Lucasfilm watch order for this, which is not in order, as we've mentioned. We've taken a look at season two and one, both episode 16s, as well as the film proper that set this whole thing rolling. I've been excited for the different facets of this story I hadn't expected. You know, hearing Clone Wars, I guess I just thought it would be all Jedis swiping at robots. I guess I didn't think about the fact that, you know, clones... But clones there are. We've already had a good look at some of the clone soldiers, and we're going to get an even closer one in the first episode that we are covering, part three on the list, season three, episode one, Clone Cadets, written by Cameron Litvak and directed by Dave Filoni himself. We will also be covering part four, season three, episode three, Supply Lines, written by Stephen Melching and Egon Mahoney, and directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. And we will be rounding out the episode with part five, season one, episode one, the first aired episode, finally, we're going to be getting to Ambush, written by Stephen Melching and directed by Dave Bullock. I've really enjoyed what we've seen so far of the Clone Wars because it gave me, I guess, more than I expected. And this episode kind of timed out perfectly. The first episode being super clone heavy. The second episode being about pretty beloved side characters from the prequel in the forms of, I guess, just beloved side character. Is, is Jar Jar beloved yet? I think more people have come around on him. I hope so. I... You know, I he's not my favorite, but I thought this was a really good showing for the character that I really appreciated him getting, knowing all of the backstory behind the character and the actor. And, you know, he provides a lighthearted sense of whimsy. I don't know that my problems with Jar Jar and the prequels are with Jar Jar so much as I don't love the Star Wars universe execution of sort of that jesterly fool drunken monk Yes, exactly. It's not the problem with the character. It's, as with most things with episode one, the problem with the way it was written. Absolutely. And from there, we get what is like the Yodaist of Yodifications. I fucking loved this episode, this third episode. And I guess more I'm really impressed with the universe Filoni is shaping. The Gendi was a great jump-off point for me, and it gave me a lot of ideas about what I'd be excited to see in the Clone Wars cartoon proper. I guess I just didn't expect so much personality. And so much personality, I agree, especially because episode three as a film still leaves the clones pretty faceless. There's so many more clone personalities than I was expecting right up front. But then again, we're watching in chronological order, so like season three, episode one, they already had a lot of that down by that point. I was excited to see a characterization of Yoda that was more in line with the original trilogy than the prequels. 
you know, Yoda's pretty Dumbledore in the prequels. He still has all his facilities, and we haven't really seen much of the senile old man that trained Luke in those movies. So I would love to see more of that side of his personality come out in the Clone Wars. And I have to agree that I find myself trying to keep track of how many clones there are. I don't know if they all have distinct personalities yet, but I'm at least convinced that they have names. And I think that's actually a huge part of what we're supposed to understand. The clones are treated as faceless, but the clones aren't truly faceless. We've actually been making that argument for the droids since the beginning of this project, where we're just really not sure the Star Wars universe's relationship with the ethical treatment of droids. And I feel like already this show has raised so many questions about the ethical treatment of clones. I really like the way these episodes start with like a single line quote to get us going, because the one that they used for clone cadets, brothers in arms are brothers for life. I guess that can't be truer than it is for the clones, where this is literally all they're living for. Yeah, like literally. This episode being directed by Dave Filoni, I think is really significant considering he only was really involved with the direct production of like a little over 10 episodes of the entire series. He seems to be more of a hands-off the direct work type showrunner, but this one was clearly very significant. The Domino Squad is actually going to make their first televised appearance for us in a few episodes in Season 1, Episode 5. This is just a backstory for those characters showing how they graduated. And I think that's a really clever use of the disjointed time narrative that they've been going with. And I'm really excited to meet them as everyone watching the show did. I think I would find myself a little confused by the timeline, though. Maybe the opening, this is what happened, really does help. But like with the crawl and everything, like I'm just so focused on like paying attention to the watch order that I don't know that I would have appreciated how out of order it was live. Oh, absolutely. It would have driven me crazy. But once we get into the story, you know, not to harp on it, but there really is something about how clones and droids this is. I just really, I always think Star Wars Jedi, Star Wars Jedi. So this idea that this could really be about the clones is fascinating. And I love the further insights that we are getting into what clone life is, what the training is. The use of bounty hunters to train the clones is certainly interesting. And, you know, Master Chief... For a guy whose name is so incredibly on the nose, he keeps his brains on the outside for some reason, and I just feel like that doesn't look like a tactical advantage. Plus, he's a dick. Yeah, he's kind of a huge dick, and I was like, ugh, he's so mean. Are we not supposed to like him? And Kevin was like, I mean, dude, bounty hunter. Yeah, I don't think you are. We are supposed to be questioning if this is a good idea to be bringing these people in. And... I think by giving me characters to support these characters, having people on the outside to talk about these central figures, that was part of what helped me set the Domino Squad apart. I'm not walking away from this feeling like it's the Power Rangers and I can identify each one of them by a color and a weapon and a dinosaur, but I do have a vague understanding of who the Domino Squad is. And I guess, yeah, now I would be really excited to see them pop up in canon. I would do one of those, oh, it's the Domino Squad sort of things because of this watch order. Exactly. The leadership situation with Shakti being 
I don't know, feeling like it seemed like she felt kind of powerless in this situation, which is interesting because, you know, Jedi's are built up to be so all powerful to see her feel incapable of creating the kind of change she's looking for. I think there's something important to that element of the story. And again, this is more female Jedi than I ever had in the movies. So I'm thrilled. Exactly. It was terrific seeing the cloning facilities of Kamino again. And I don't know if it's just that that was like my favorite part of the prequels or something, but I love those aliens. And I think that the Jedi being like, well, I mean, we did order this army of clones, I guess. There's something about the way they're just like resigned to use them. Yeah, I remember you really liking the uh, Kaminoan clone stuff and being fascinated by it. And I really agree. They're these weird guys just on the outside of the galaxy who have the ability to make giant waves of clones. You know, I think that's why it was important to have the final installment of the Skywalker saga involve a clone because that ability is still out there and it's something that we haven't seen brought up again much in Star Wars proper canon. You know, the films, the television series, and that's that's kind of a big deal, isn't it? In that way, it does feel like they made the ninth movie about respecting the prequels in their entirety, in that they dealt primarily with the Emperor and cloning. I concur. So I really do come to appreciate the clones and troopers by the end. But one of the things that I thought was terrific about this episode was sort of the setup of this hollow simulator situation. I feel like one of the big things about Star Wars technology is that it always seems very underwhelming very minor other than you know space travel don't get me wrong that's amazing but like the chess seems terrible they don't have hollow suites yeah and it kind of felt like this was a little bit closer to a hollow suite kind of like that step between a hollow suite and one of those sweet american gladiator nerf blaster obstacle courses where you need to get all the way to the end and not get hit by nitro yeah totally So, like, I really did think that this added a lot of personality to a world that was always left for fans to composite the personality onto. And I don't need my fiction spoon-fed to me, but I did like getting more definitive answers. I also thought the Domino Squad cadets working together as a sign of unity. The clones aren't really a hive mind, but they kind of work together as a hive mind. I thought that was a really important part of setting up why we should care about these characters, these clones. Mm. Speaking of episodes that make us care more about characters we didn't care about before... The Clone Cadets is followed chronologically by Season 3, Episode 3, Supply Lines, which is an unlikely buddy spy story starring Bail Organa and Jar Jar Binks. That was something I did not know existed. And I guess I kind of thought like, oh, this is going to be dumb. And then I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And obviously it's played up for comedy. Nobody wants Jar Jar to actually be the person on this diplomatic mission. But I really feel like he comes through as best as he possibly can. And I find that if you find this Jar Jar like irritating, you're like trying to. They really did work on making the character more useful, capable, fleshed out, experienced. Like I thought this was an interesting character transition. 
I do too. Like legitimately, it might sound dumb, but I would genuinely be interested to see more of this interpretation of the character. I also thought they really got his physical mannerisms downright, like his his physicality and the way that he slams things and climbs up on the table. There's a very specific way that the actor played him that I think they captured very well through the animation that I thought was very cool. And, you know, I think that this was a really great use of the character. Before the character comes in, the episode is set up with the loss of a fleet protecting the planet Ryloth, which is currently a war zone. And the Jedi are desperate to get there and help out. They've got some men on the ground, and it's a pretty desperate situation. And it's sort of these, for my sake, as a casual fan trying to get deeper into the canon, these sort of throwaway planets that I say, okay, they're just raising the stakes. I don't really care about Ryloth. I could tell they were trying to make me care about Ryloth, but I feel like there's going to be a million Ryloth. Actually, there's story still to come with Ryloth specifically. Supply Lines is specifically a prequel to the episode we watched following it, Ambush, which itself is then a lead-in to a trilogy of episodes later in season one having to do with the Siege of Ryloth. So it's actually their attempt to build more backstory into something that we are going to see in season one, but done all the way in season three. Okay, and I I like that. What I didn't love was Dooku, and I know I've just kind of got to get used to it. I don't care for the Emperor, and I don't care for Dooku. I don't find them compelling villains, and it's just very frustrating that, like, everybody kind of knows that Dooku's a piece of shit, and they're kind of okay with it. I understand that's how the world works. I did like that the Toydaria people, or Toydarian people, looked like Watto, that helped pull in the first film for me. That's because they are. I really do have to agree with you about Dooku, though. I have come to appreciate Palpatine more I I don't I don't enjoy him in episode three, but pretty much everywhere else, he's mostly just like this cackling figure in the shadows and he's used pretty decently. But Dooku, you know, being on the front lines and being in the thick of it um, with his smarmy, pompous 18th century lord demeanor really is obnoxious. I'm glad that we have Ventress to carry out most of his shit, like in the next episode. Similarly, did not enjoy him here, though. I liked the setup for the King of Twidaria. It kind of took some of the punch away from the next episode, seeing that he was such a good guy. But understanding how groups are already working to undermine the Separatists, who they can't surface challenge is a really important element to the story. And the duality of that played against the silliness of Jar Jar's performance is kind of how they get away with it. And that's a really interesting take. I hadn't considered we already know the King of Toydaria is a nice guy because he helped the Republic get away with this thing. So when we got to the next episode and he had to choose between the Republic and the Separatists, we kind of already had an idea of what direction he was going to go in. It wasn't really as much a mystery because we had a prequel produced later that told us that he was a really decent guy. Yeah. And speaking of guys, there's a Jedi on the ground in Ryloth trying to protect everybody. 
And I know that he has a sad final stand, but I would like to comment for one moment. We had made some comments that in the Gendi, some Jedi seemed like they could take on a planet's worth of droids. I quite legitimately felt the same way about this Jedi's last stand on Ryloth. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the continued pattern of seeing incredibly, incredibly powerful Jedis in the animated series when that's not quite what we get in the live action. It makes the two universes harder to connect a little bit. But I felt for everything else they gave us, I could really follow how this was part of that bigger universe. And I enjoyed this one probably the most of all of the episodes we'd watched so far. I get that. And I think it's really cute and fun to see side stories with characters that I don't necessarily expect to see in these things. There are so many different characters from the films who are involved in the Clone Wars. Not everything needs to be about Anakin and Obi-Wan and their specific side characters. That's one of the things you had also said you'd be looking for from the sequels. Not everything needs to be Skywalker Saga. And finally, Yoda's tour de force first episode. I loved this. It was really interesting to see a focus episode for Yoda in a more fully developed animated series. It was one thing when we saw him playing around and using Jedi mind tricks in the Gendi, but, you know, this is full force Yoda, and I think it was kind of cool. I liked that they found a way to get Yoda in on a mission that was compelling, the intercept of the ship, and then the intercept of the mission. Yoda is a character we've been told is incredibly powerful and incredibly capable. So it takes a lot to constantly convince me that whatever you're putting in his way can truly challenge him. And this idea of Yoda versus a droid army with just three clones turning into Yoda versus a droid army. And I mean, he's got three whole clones with him by the end. It really did something to convince me of the legitimacy of this show. I felt very much like, okay, this is a story I needed told. Thank you for giving me Yoda in a way I love. I do have to say, though, this is further examples in this episode of the droids are maybe a little bit too funny and kitschy. I don't really get them. Like, it's 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 already enough that they yell, die Republic dogs, because, like, you're a robot. Someone programmed you to think that and say that. But then jokes like, but I just got promoted. Like, it's funny. I'm not trying to take away from the comedy, but are we supposed to be taking this series seriously, you know? I found myself really questioning that when the droids wouldn't listen. When that one droid was like, stop, stop, I said stop. I was like, um, are droids bad at following orders? Maybe that's part of what the implication is supposed to be. It's not anything I've read anywhere. But, you know, when you said that, it burst into my head that maybe beyond comedy, the implication is supposed to be that these droids suck that bad. That they have these faults like bizarre personalities, uh, lack of obedience. And one thing that I thought was kind of like the opposite was Ventress. I thought Ventress was in a good way predictable. I loved the role she served here when she was like, oh, well, then I'm going to kill the King of Tordaria. At the end, I was like, kind of like, obviously. But I thought Ventress, as like the hand of Dooku, served an excellent role. 
This was the episode where I really decided that Ventress is what Count Dooku thinks he is when he's being all like catty with his slinky dialogue. But like, no, you're you're like an 80 year old man. You need to put that away. Whereas Ventress is this sleek, bald, badass female warrior who wears these long skirts and still kicks ass. Double lightsabers. Unless Yoda grabs them, which, like, holy shit, that moment. I didn't know that was something Jedi could do when he snatched Ventress's lightsabers and turned them off with the Force. Woof. It was such a moment of, like, we talked a lot in our HTML episodes about Endgame, about these moments that just had this total emotional payoff, because it was everything we'd wanted and everything we'd been waiting for. And just seeing Yoda disarm her like that, it was, that was everything I kind of always wanted the higher ground bits to be. Just, no, I'm better. They're mine now. Oh, I totally get what you mean. And of course, they are still balanced with moments like those birds flying up to Yoda after he just killed a whole bunch of droids. Like, that was maybe a little bit too much. The only thing I thought didn't play out quite right was the way the clones were made necessary because they had to defend Yoda. I don't know. I feel like Yoda would have just blown up some rocks and been fine. (laughs) I think it's, you know, like the scene with them around the fire, it's trying to portray an emotional bond between them and Yoda because you know there isn't a ton of emotional resonance in episode three for them turning on the Jedi beyond you know we care and don't want to see Jedi get killed but at the end of all this you know if we get more scenes like this between the clone soldiers and the Jedi like it's going to make that moment and everything that comes after so much more impactful. And I do understand what you're trying to say with that, because for me, I felt like the clones having a relationship with Yoda made Yoda even more powerful in a lot of ways for me. Like, there is no one beneath Yoda. And I feel like one of the things we maybe missed out on in the prequels was seeing Yoda with anyone because he was treated as such a sacred character. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. These three episodes really gave me a cross-section of what I was looking for from this series on the whole. I found myself drawn into the characters that I knew, new characters, and minor characters I'd always wanted more from. And it's a really great thing that this watch order is highlighting the things that we should care about early on. Because now, yeah, I do find myself going into the show with a general interest in the clones. On the other hand, I am now excited that we get just a straight run of episodes for a little while and get to see how the story played out in its original form without any of the later episodes inserted to the narrative. Well, until we return to talk about those episodes in season one, Kevo, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitters and Instagram at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, or on the Facebook page for this lovely program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo Action. You can also find the super cool, super fun, super inclusive superhero stories that we've been producing over at KidRiotComics.com. Nico, where can the folks at home find you? You guys can find me right here on this network Mondays and Thursdays producing X's for Podcast, where we talk about X-Men in the 80s and X-Men Now, covering all angles of the 
amazing Xverse. You guys can also find me on our web portals at wearecrocoa.com as well as xisforpodcast.com. Don't forget to check out my Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And until we return, keep those kyber crystals burning. May the force be with you and also with your force ghost.